Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Ivy. <clears throat> so great to be with you. Uh, what an absolute joy. Beautiful church. I hear of your good works all the time. And uh, Anthony's always bragging about you when I see him in the States. And, uh, and so he should. Maybe just turn to the person beside you and say he was probably mentioning you. <laughs> I really want to talk to you. It's really interesting that uh, you know, a lot of your compassion sponsorships are focused on Haiti. That's where my uh, sponsored child lives, Emerson. And, uh, and um, I've really been fascinated by the history um, uh, of Haiti, the first black republic in the history of the world. Sort of these uh, people, uh, 700,000 enslaved Africans that were taken uh, to make one of the most lucrative French colonies in history. And uh, they were taken there. And one of those um, African slaves had this idea that maybe he wasn't born to be a slave. Now listen, that might be the most divine idea ever. I mean, I, you understand that, that in the fabric of humanity, the way that God designed, designed humans was for freedom, right? Even, even at great cost to himself, even with the foreknowledge of knowing that the freedom he was gonna give humanity was gonna be costly to him, he still protected it, he still designed us that way. And absolutely, the opposite of uh, what poverty is by definition is disempowerment. It's the inability to choose freedom. And so this one guy in Haiti, all those, with the first black republic in the history of the world, I mean, it is a significant uh, country. And the fact that it has still these in, in, incredible uh, different kinds of oppression is a really very important lesson for us who are trying to live out our human identity, our human destiny, which is for freedom which is to make good choices, which is to say that slavery does not just come outside of us, it also comes inside of us. That slavery and oppression, the way that the, the enemy works is to try to take away our freedom. It's to try to take away our freedom. And it tries to disempower us. And sometimes that happens in the world. You know, the fastest growing crime in the planet is human trafficking. You know, one of the fastest growing problems in Haiti is child trafficking, even within Haiti. It's fascinating to me that Haitian people who represent sort of this incredible move of freedom has started a revolution that had repercussions all over the world, actually, are now participating in the enslavement of themselves. It's a fascinating idea, which is what oppression does. What oppression does is it keeps people not only being oppressed, but also them becoming oppressors. And so I wanna talk to you, I mean, I've been doing 22 years, I've been doing work with people coming out of uh, sexual, um, the sex industry, you know, just victims of human trafficking, trying to stop systemic poverty, uh, trying to combat, you know, cycles and systems of oppression. And so I've really been captured by this idea of freedom. And uh, one of the things I love most about Compassion actually is this idea, their, their tagline of releasing people from poverty, you know, this idea of freeing people from systems and cycles of oppression and the slavery that is extreme poverty. And I want to share with you just really briefly four kind of principles that I've discovered that are helpful for getting free 
participating in this phenomenal thing that God's invited us to in this freedom crusade. We call it salvation, right? Which is freedom from the inside out. Uh, which salvation will actually create a freedom inside of you to be who it is that you really are, where you can choose yes to light, you can choose hope, you can choose possibilities, you can choose a future that's good. It's an empowerment that happens on the inside of you, but that empowerment works its way out of you. And then you start choosing better, healthy relationships. You start choosing, and we see this cycle being broken in kids all over the world through compassion, so it's exciting. But here are some four principles in case you have an oppression. Maybe, and you know, what's really interesting about oppression is that it's not always that obvious. You know, oppression isn't always that obvious, but it's usually always present because the enemy never gets tired of trying to oppress you again. You know, like even in areas where you thought you were free. So maybe you like quit smoking. You know, you realize that smoking was an oppression. And you quit smoking and then just before you know it, you found sugar, you know. Has ever happened to you, right? Or you quit drinking like your fierce leader here. Way to go. I've spoken as a Salvation Army teetotaler. I, I support his decisions. But, but you know, you, you quit drinking, then you discover caffeine, right? You know, and you've you got 10 in you before lunch, you know. And you, we have this capacity to lean into oppression, and oppression will be dished to us in a thousand different flavors. There's one for all of us. One for all of us. And so the question becomes, not only how do we get free, so some of you here today might wanna actually make this a day where you say, this is the day I'm gonna get free, but also it's how do we stay free? How do we stay free? And that's the question that I really wanna have a chat with. And here's some four things that I thought were helpful in my life. Here's one. One is to believe it's possible. And I know this is gonna sound a little mumbo jumbo, like new agey, like kind of like self-helpy, like, you know, like with the Joel Osteen smile and a big glitter and there's a book to buy at the end. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that one of the ways you can spot oppression in your life is it's in an area that's hopeless. There's a thing that's hopeless. There's a thing that you've come into agreement with that this is the best you could do. And this is how oppression kind of works. It's, it's, and so how we undo oppression in our lives, how we participate with God as freedom is, is for this gift of faith, for this gift called hope that enters into our mind to believe that it's possible for you to be free. Now, I remember the first time this happened to me, I, I was on a plane coming back from an African country and I was reading a book called The End of Poverty by Dr. Jeffrey Sachs. And you would think I would realize it by the title of the book, but I didn't. I'm a little bit thick that way. It was about halfway through the book, a thought occurred to me. And this was the thought, whoa, we could end extreme poverty. Like in a generation, we could end extreme poverty. Not only did he have this idea that we could end extreme poverty, but then he had an economic plan, which has turned into the Millennium Development Goals at the UN. He had this economic plan of how we could actually, in this generation, we could end extreme poverty. So I remember seeing on this plane going like literally out loud, I remember saying to myself, wow, <laughs> we could end extreme poverty in our generation. Now, when the thought occurred to me that we could end extreme poverty, you know what I realized? For the first time in my life, and I had spent, I mean, I grew up in the Salvation Army helping people. I mean, you would think out of everybody in the world, we would think we could end homelessness or we would think we could end extreme poverty. But what I realized is I spent the most of my life believing that we couldn't. I had spent most of my life believing that little kids were gonna have to die of extreme hunger and that's just the way things were. Now, I thought it was wrong. I thought it was terrible, I thought it was tragic, I felt a little bit guilty about it when I was throwing my food in the garbage. You know, like I, I, I resonated with the tension of it, but I had actually come into agreement with it. And that's how oppression works. 
That's how it works. Now that's a big, big scale issue, but this can happen in marriages, it can happen in relationships, it can happen in patterns of behavior. This happens in addiction all the time, by the way. People will say, ah, I, I've been smoking for 25 years, I might as well not stop now. You know, they, do, they cannot see their way out of oppression. They cannot see their way out of patterns of agreement with the enemy. So number one is to begin to believe it's possible for you to be free. So here's a, a hint for you, wherever it is that you're thinking it's impossible, that's where oppression is begun to wrap itself around your life. That's where it happens. So somebody who struggles with anxiety and thinks it's impossible for them to live a normal life. Do you see, you, you, I'm not saying that, you know, name it, claim it, like you'll be healed, although let's pray for that. Why not? We've got nothing to lose. But it's possible for you to live a real, important, incredible, gifted, meaningful life, even with anxiety. This is this, this pastor, it's possible for him to church plant in Haiti and help people who have less than him. Do you know what I mean? Even in the midst of extreme poverty, one of the poorest nations of the earth, even in the midst of that, it's possible for God to free people from a spirit of poverty. All right, here's number two. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, um, this is really, really important because fear is the currency of oppression. Now, everybody knows this, right? Everybody knows that fear is the currency of oppression. And here's what, I, I, I've been doing a study on the book of Exodus um, because it's kind of like a freedom manual. It's how God's people got free. And one of the things that's really, really, really been interesting for me is the ch first chapter of Exodus, it says, it says that the Israelites were oppressed by the Egyptians, by Pharaoh, uh, because they were afraid. So that, that, that we know that fear, if you're afraid of things, it will cause you to be oppressed. But here's what I didn't know that was really fascinating to me. What I didn't know is that because Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites, he oppressed them. Which, which leads me to this conclusion, that if you are, are living your life with fear as a dominating factor, you will either be oppressed or you will be an oppressor. But oppression, the currency, the way it works is through fear. So don't be afraid. God says this, by the way, 365 times in the Bible. <laughs> Almost every inaction he has with humanity, humanity's like, ah! And God's like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid because fear is the currency of oppression. Now, how do you not be afraid? Because this is what I was saying to the Lord. I was like, this is a nice idea not to be afraid but have you seen the news? You know, do you live in my neighbor? Like, you, and, and I realize that the culture, the culture that we live in has saturated us with a spirit of fear. I mean, we are literally teaching people how to be afraid, right? We're being taught, we're being like a steady diet of fear. And, uh, and so I said to God, you know, how are we gonna not be afraid? Because it's a good idea, but I don't know how to do it in today's world. And uh, God reminded me of this really cool story, um, and and and, and it, it was of this uh, woman who, whose street name was Flower, and she had this miraculous intervention by God. You know those moments where God just does this thing, and you're just like, "How did that happen?" And nobody really knows except God did it. And she had been, you know, on the streets since she was a little girl. She had been sexually exploited by this terrible bully of a pimp, and she had been sold on the streets, she was a heroin addict, all this kind of stuff, she just had all this, and she had this one moment where God just spoke into her life so powerfully, she fell asleep for three days on my living room floor, she woke up saying, I need God. Uh, it was just crazy. And we began to walk Flower through this process of freedom. It's a long journey. 
And, uh, and we're walking it through. And, but what would happen to her because of the trauma in her early life and in her even adult life, she would wake up in the middle of the night with these traumatic memories. You know, this, this bully, this specific guy that had trafficked her would come to her in the middle of the night and say like, when you get back here, you know, here's a list of things I'm gonna do to you. And, uh, and even sometimes, I remember this one time we were having a prayer time, I was praying with her and she stopped. She's like, I don't wanna pray anymore. I don't wanna pray anymore. And I said, why not, what's going on? And she's like, he's here, he's here, he's in my prayer. And in the prayer time that we were having, this bully, this memory of a bully or trauma of a bully or this bully, the spirit of a bully, whatever you, however you wanna say that, came to her and started taunting her and like tormenting her in the middle of the prayer. So she said, I just don't wanna pray anymore. Now at that point, I remember getting a little ticked off because I felt like that bully had had enough of her life. And that actually, if there was a sacred thing in her life, prayer was it, you know? And that bully didn't have any right to have her prayer time. For Pete's sake, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. So I said to her, look, instead of just like stopping the prayer time, do you want to try something? Like, are you willing to try something? She's like, okay, sure. So I said, why don't we go back to the, exactly where the bully showed up in, in your mind when we were praying and ask Jesus to come? And she's like, you can do that? And I'm like, yeah, with confidence, but inside I'm like, I really hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I'm like, yeah, let, well, let's try it. I mean, we have nothing to lose. She said, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to try it. So we, have, we, we close our eyes, we pray again, and we just say, Jesus, you know, like right now, right where we're afraid, right where this bully is, would you please come and show yourself to Flower? And uh, then Flower just started killing herself laughing. And I was offended, because that's inappropriate when you pray, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, what, why are you laughing? This is great, this is a serious exercise. You know, what's so funny about it? And I remember her saying to me, well, he showed up. I said, well, that's awesome, where is he? And she said, well, he came, he stood right in front of me. And I was like, yes, that's where he's supposed to stand, right? That's where I was like hoping he would stand because that's the promise of God that he goes before us, right? That he goes before us, that he's a shield for us, that, those, that he's a rescue for us, he's a strong tower for us, that we can like run into him and we can be safe. And he's present with us right in front of our enemies, right? Like that's the scripture. So I was like, yeah, so how's it funny? And she said to me with this big grin, she said, well, let me just put it to you this way, Danielle. She said, I am literally hugging his left calf. She looks at me with these big eyes and she goes, he was much bigger than I expected. <laughs> and then she started to describe, just with laughter and tears and absolute joy, she started to describe this bully running away from the presence of this large, massive Christ. And she said he was a lot bigger than that guy was expecting too. And thus began more and more of an increase of her freedom. And this is what the Lord keeps speaking to me. Perfect love, the scripture says, casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. That's the recipe for dealing with your fear. This is really important because you're not, the recipe for, for, for dealing with your fear is not denying your fear. It's not pretending you're not afraid. Isn't that the worst when you're with people who pretend they're not afraid but you know they're terrified? It's not avoiding places that you're afraid of. We've become really good at that too. Don't go there, that's a terrible place. Don't go there, that's a dangerous place. Don't go there, that's a... No, the, the way we deal with our fear is with a confrontation of it. It's with a recognition of it. It's with an acknowledgement of it, which is a, a humble posture, isn't it? To say, I'm scared right now. I'm afraid right now. This is like freaking me out right now. And then we say, Jesus, please, 
Would you come right where I need to confront this fear? Would you please come right where I'm most afraid? Would you please come where this oppression has the most grip on me? Would you please come? And in the midst of this journey of the confrontation of our fear, perfect love begins to cast out fear. That's how that works. That's number two, don't be afraid. Here's number three. Start now and start with you. I really wish this was a different one. I really wish, I don't know about you, but I really wish that this was start tomorrow with somebody else. Right, Jay Leno said he'd do anything for the perfect body except diet and exercise. (laughs) I, I agree with him. I mean, just start now and with you. That this freedom thing is so easy to say, I want these people to be free and not actually deal with the freedom that needs to happen in your own life that will enable you to then participate to help these people get free. Do you understand? That there's always a corresponding freedom that needs to happen in your own life. That freedom is this thing that we grow into. That there's more of it. Right when you think you might have got it, there's actually more of it. There's more freedom. There's more liberation. There's more possibilities. There's more space that you can make in your life for more freedom and more capacity for God's kingdom to come in you and through you in your life. But it has to start now and it has to start with you. You know, I've never met someone that quit smoking Um, at the end of a pack. You know, it's a really interesting thing. Maybe you have, but I mean, I've worked with addicts my whole life. They always, the ones that really quit are the ones that quit in the middle. They're always the ones, the ones that really quit are the ones that like, I've got to quit and I've got to quit now. You know, the ones that are like, I'll do it at the end of this pack, they're never, ever quitting. Just, that is like code word for I'm not doing that. It's sort of like you when you say, yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow. Right, you remember Janice Joplin, she once sang, tomorrow's just another word uh, for, no, no, sorry, tomorrow never comes, man. It's all the same day. That's what she, with a little swear word in between. But I won't, I won't say that part, but she said, tomorrow never comes, man. It's always the same day. And it's kind of true, isn't it? Tomorrow never comes. You put off to, for tomorrow what you should do for today. And God says this thing, you know, in the scripture, this is how he describes salvation. He says the best time for salvation is when? Yeah, Today. Today is the best time for salvation. When is the acceptable time? Like, when is the time for God's favor to come on the earth? It's now. Yeah, that's right. It's always like in present tense in the Bible. God is, I am that I am. Always present. Always right here. Always right now. Never like, I'm going to get to God later. I'm going to get to that thing later. I'm going to get to what God told me to do later. God is always present tense. He's the eternal now. That's one, of his, that's one of his names, eternally now. So I'm not asking you, do you want to be free tomorrow? I'm asking you, do you want to be free right now? Because this is the best, most opportune time for your freedom journey to begin, is right now. It's today. It's always today with God. It's always right now with God. You know, if you've never seen 12 Years a Slave, this movie about Oliver Northrop, it's a true story of a guy who was born, it's excruciating, but he was born free in the northern states and then he was kidnapped and he was bound and he was put on a ship and he was sold into the transatlantic slave trade. And he, he, was, he was just like, it, it, it's incredible, excruciatingly painful movie, but really important to see how oppression works. It's really interesting. When he gets kidnapped, he gets beaten, he gets given a different name than his own name. And, he, and, and he's like, that's not my name. And they're like, you're a slave. He's like, I'm not a slave, I'm free. And you see this, he's confused and he's, he's, confu- and he's been beaten and he's been chained. And he's, like, he's, he's in this like, ah. And, he, and he's put in the bottom of this boat with all of these other people who are, are, are being sold. 
And, and this guy beside him, there's this moment on the boat, it's fascinating, there's a guy on one side of him and he says, you know, when we were being loaded on this boat, I saw there's only six guys controlling this whole boat. There's only six of them and look around. There's over a hundred of us. Like we could take the boat. Like there's only six of them. There's a hundred of us. We could take the boat and turn it around right now and go back to someplace free. And the guy on the other side of him says, yeah, there's only six of them, but they were armed. So if we take the boat right now, he says some of us are gonna die. And I think there's probably gonna be a better time, a more opportune time later to, to, to get free. And then Oliver's in the middle and he's, you can see, he's like, he has to make the decision. For some reason, it's up to him in this movie scene. And he's like listening to either side and he's like weighing his options and he's thinking, oh, you know, this could be the best time, but maybe there'll be a more opportune time. And because he's new to oppression, he chooses to wait for a more opportune time. And then here's what happens in the movie. It gets, it gets, he literally gets off that boat into other stages of hell, into worse oppressions. I mean, he gets so oppressed. For 12 years, he remains a slave. He forgets his real name. He begins to forget his real name. He forgets his identity. He forgets who he is. He's literally lost in this oppression. He begins to do things that he never would have even conceived it was possible for him to do. He begins to lose his humanity. And as these scenes unfold, they're excruciatingly painful. And as it's happening, I'm looking at the screen. I literally, at one point, I just said, you should have done it on the boat. You should have done it on the boat because this is the deal. Any moment that you have a possibility of getting free, any moment, any moment, this moment is the best moment you will ever have. This is the most opportune time. So whatever it is, whatever oppression, whatever secret sin, whatever thing that's going on in your life that causes you to be enslaved or oppressed or stuck in, in, in these patterns of oppression or disempowerment where you can't choose what it is that you wanna choose, this is your best moment to get free. Do not wait for a more opportune time. It is not coming. Do you remember uh, an interviewer interviewed Rosa Parks and she started the uh, Bus Montgomery riot and the civil rights movement in the States. It, was, it, it wasn't on purpose. She just refused to get out of her seat. You know, there was, there was that, that bus driver came and said, there's white people getting on. They deserve the front and you're supposed to go sit in the back. And Rosa Parks said, nope, <laughs> and remained seated. And it started this massive Montgomery bus riot that was a really great advance for the civil rights cause in America. And a, and a, a journalist was saying to her, you know, how did that, why that day? You know, like why that day? Like, why, why'd you pick that one? And Rosa Parks said, you know, I was tired. And the, the journalist is like, well, you, really, you were just tired, that's it? Like, you were just so tired from working all day that you couldn't get up? Like, when you said no, you meant just like, no, I'm too tired? Like, and she said, no, not that kind of tired. She said, I was tired of giving in. She said, I, I, I used to believe that if I gave into oppression, it would, it would back off. And she said, what I, what I realized that day is every single time I gave into oppression, it tightened. And I was tired. I was tired of giving in. We need to get to a place, I don't know about you, but we need to get to a place where we're tired of oppression. We're just tired of slavery, where we're tired of the grip of oppression. Every time we give in, that noose, that tighten, that rope, that, that, that oppression tightens in our lives. And I'm praying that God will make us a tired people, way too tired for oppression. 
The final one, which is a really uh, key one, is this, don't give up, don't give up. We have this problem where a lot of times we equate the Bible to a Disney movie. And the problem is that the Bible is not a Disney movie. (laughs) Disney can't even compare (laughs) to the kind of epic stories that the Bible has. But it's not just that the stories are incredible in the Bible, it's that they're different. It's, It's not magical, it's real. Here's one difference, for example. I don't know about you, when I was studying the Exodus, uh, you know, just to get all of the slaves, all of the Israelites, so there's 1.6 million, they estimate, uh, Israelites getting out of Egypt to get to the Promised Land in that massive, beautiful moment of the Red Sea party. You know, everybody knows that. Even Steven Spielberg knows this moment. And I remember, you know, like reading about how long it took 1.6 million people to cross that part of the Red Sea to get to the other side of it. And you know, it's really funny because at first I thought it happened during a worship song. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but when I picture it in my mind, it's probably because I watched The Prince of Egypt a lot with my children. But like, when I picture it in my mind, they're all singing and they're shouting. It lasts about two and a half minutes. It's like this epic, amazing thing. And then at the end of So Will I, they're on the desert, you know. They're, they're in the, they're in the, and they're on land, and then they start complaining, you know, and we, and we preach about that, we're like, those Israelites are so, you know, like, they're just never satisfied, are they? Now they're complaining, God finally brought them through this epic miracle, and then look what they're, they're just like, they're ingrateful, those people. But, you, you know, most, most, most of the experts estimate that it, it would have taken about 30 to 40 days for the Israelites to cross on foot, through that passage, that distance to get to the, the start of the promised land, 30 or 40 days. So here's what I want you to picture now. I want you to picture a Syrian refugee family taking everything they possibly have that they could grab at the last minute before they run out of their, their places. And for 30 or 40 days, they're walking on the side of a European highway or a train track. They're looking for a place to go to. They're leaving an oppression that we can't even fathom. And they're looking for, and they've had tons of miracles on the way. Just the fact they're alive is one of those miracles. But they get to, they get to what was supposed to be a promised land and they find a gate shut with armed guards and nowhere to go. Their food is gone. Their money is spent. And there they are. That's what it felt like to be an Israelite. That's what it felt like. It's exactly the same way they felt. Maybe what they said to Moses, their leader, was have you brought us here to die? Have you brought us here to die? And Moses has to say to them, look, God's got some kind of a plan. (laughs) And it makes no sense to us, but we can trust him in this moment and that, that this is just the beginning, it's not the end, and that, and that sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, ministry feels like this too. If you've been at this for a long time, you'll feel just like this. I've been slogging through a lot of stuff for a lot of years, is it gonna get any better? And here is the deal, it is gonna get better, that God does have a plan, it's just not a Disney plan that's wrapped up in a two and a half minute, uh, you know, nice graphics with a beautiful end song. It's a real life plan. 
And it's in the muck and it's in the mire and it's in the willingness for us to go in the right direction. And it's in those places in our lives when we get to the end of our own resources and we have to say, God, only you can do this. Only you can bring us to freedom, only you. And here's what we commit to. We commit that we're gonna keep trusting you. We commit that we're gonna keep on moving in the direction you call us. We commit that we're not gonna give up. And if you read some of the greatest heroes of the faith in Hebrews 12, one of the things that defines them the most is that they were people who committed their entire lives not just a moment, not just a glorious moment, not just one difficult struggle, but their entire lives, all of their time, they were headed towards something that no one else could see, but they could kind of envision that there was a promised land, that there was freedom coming, that there was a people where there were no people, that they were gonna be a blessing to the earth. And they were people who were willing to not give up. And that's how freedom comes in the world. It comes when people refuse to give up. Now, those of you who've been going for a long time, those of you who are just thinking like, this is ever end, it's gonna end, all right? It's gonna be a glorious ending of freedom, an exodus that we have yet to see. God has a plan for the world that is to redeem it and to restore it and to use it to be a blessing to the earth. It's gonna end, all right? Don't give up. Don't give up. So I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray Galatians 5, chapter one. Christ has truly set us free and make sure you stay free. Don't get tied up in slavery anymore. And I'm gonna ask, maybe there's some people here that need a work of freedom in your life. People that really need, and you're literally, you're just sitting there going, yo, she's right, I should do it today. I should commit to it today. I should start the journey today. And I'm, I'm not gonna name oppression because you know, it's a thousand different flavors. You know what it is in your life. Whatever that thing is that you're just like, oh, she does not know me. I can't do it. I can't do it. It won't happen. It can happen. That's where it is. That's where it is right there. Let's start getting free from that today. Let's make that decision to start now and to start with us. Yes, I'm gonna ask you, just close your eyes where you are. And if that's you, if you wanna start freedom today, and some of you might be here and you don't don't know Jesus, can I just say that's the way you begin? (laughs) That's how it becomes possible for you to even believe you can be free, is that Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope of our lives. He makes it possible because he designed us to be free. That's why slavery never fits us. Oppression doesn't fit our lives. It feels uncomfortable because we weren't made for oppression. We were made for freedom. So if you're here today and you, don't, you, you haven't even started with this Jesus thing, this is, your, this is what you start with. This is who you start with, Jesus, whose whole mission statement was to set us free, <laughs> to set us free. If that's you, if you wanna start a relationship with Jesus, do you wanna, maybe you just wanna raise your hand so I can see you and pray for you. Thank you, bless you. And if you're, you know exactly even as I'm speaking that there's something specific God wants to set you free from and that you're gonna participate with that journey, do you wanna raise your hand? Just as a statement to say I've heard you and I'm saying today is a day, an important day and I'm tired of putting this off. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, let me pray for you. So God, we're asking right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, just by the infilling of your presence among us, 
that you would be perfect love personified in our lives right now. All of these hands, all of these people who want freedom to come in real life, in real life, God, that you would come, perfect love, presence of Christ, come and help them to confront their fear, help them in the journey of freedom, unravel the oppression that they've been in and set your people free. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.